Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, Christ Concerned About the Will of God and Not Human Desires, Part 3. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, We also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Please note, next week will be the last week in this series until January 2022 when we will finish this series. We will pick it up where we have left off in Chapter 4 of 1 Peter. When we break for the holidays, we will re-examine the parable of the tares and the wheat for our Thanksgiving episode. What we find may well be something else we can be thankful for this Thanksgiving holiday. This will be an exciting examination as we will be able to see how much closer to the harvest of the saints we really are. Then we will have three Christmas messages. We hope this will be an exciting time of year for all of you. God bless you all. Welcome to our extended summer series titled, What We Need to Know or Reaffirm. Our summer series is sourced in 1st and 2nd Peter. Last week, in our episode titled, Christ's Concerned About the Will of God and Not Human Desires, Part 2, November 7th, we examined 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 through 22. The entire passage includes verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4, which we will cover in this podcast momentarily. Last week, we took a good look at the difference between prison and hell. It is possible that purgatory is modeled after this thought of prison since both are a holding place before final sentencing is executed. It is the only scripture that could possibly support the notion of purgatory. This prison existed in a predetermined amount of time and today is long gone. This fact, among others, weakens the notion of purgatory of which is supposed to be in existence today. At the very least, for those who are born again in Christ, whether it is called purgatory or prison, is of concern since our Bibles call it prison, not purgatory. However, arguing this point is not the objective and point of this study. The reason being, except for the book of Genesis and here in 1 Peter, no other scripture in the Bible speaks of a prison referencing a holding place before permanent residence is found in either heaven or hell. We also found out that Christ, now sitting at the right hand of God, has swallowed up death that we may become heirs of everlasting life, involving for us a state of life, saved, glorious, and eternal. In continuing this final part of this study this week, we will read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Scripture reads, So, since Christ suffered in the flesh, 
you'll also arm yourselves with the same attitude, because the one who has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, in that he spends the rest of his time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. From 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-2 through 2. In this Bible version, verse 1 and 2 are one long sentence, so we will examine verse 1, then verse 2, and then summarize. The quick overview is, this chapter relates principally to the manner in which those to whom the Apostle wrote ought to bear their trials and to the encouragements of a holy life, notwithstanding their persecutions. He had commenced the subject in the preceding chapter and had referred them particularly to the example of the Savior. His great solicitude was that if they suffered, it should not be for crime and that their enemies should not be able to bring any well-founded accusation against them. He would have them pure and harmless, patient and submissive, faithful in the performance of their duties, and confidently looking forward to the time when they should be delivered. From Barnes' New Testament Notes The comment we should take note of is, he had commenced the subject in the preceding chapter and had referred them particularly to the example of the Savior. His great solicitude was that if they suffered, it should not be for crime, and that their enemies should not be able to bring any well-founded accusation against them. He would have them pure and harmless, patient and submissive, faithful in the performance of their duties, and confidently looking forward to the time when they should be delivered. Notice, his great solicitude was that if they suffered, it should not be for crime or any well-founded accusation. That suggests an accuser must create falsehoods to support their argument against you due to your innocence. Meaning, an accuser must make false statements about you which, ultimately, will not stand to bear any fruit of injustice. Only the accuser will suffer ultimately by being caught in their exclaimed falsehoods of another. Why is this so? That your enemies should not be able to bring any well-founded accusation against you. There is the reasoning that our suffering should not be for a crime. Christ would have us, pure and harmless, patient and submissive, faithful in the performance of our duties, and confidently looking forward to the time when we should be delivered. Therein is the deeper reasoning. We should understand further we need to arm ourselves with the same mind that was in Christ to consider that the pastime of our lives was enough for us to have wrought the will of the flesh, and that now it is our duty to be separate from the wicked world 
in whatever light the world might regard our conduct, remembering that we, who made false and malicious statements, who slandered others, must soon give account to God. Both quotes personalized from Barnes' New Testament notes. I personalize them to make a valid point, even though those two commentary passages uses the words them, they, and their, it does not make it any less relevant to us and our lives in Christ today. Even today, it is not considered by anyone I know that making false and malicious statements about someone, slandering them, or even lying, is a good thing to do. Simply, it is not even worse for us to do if we profess Christ. That being a very good point in this examination. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, since he as a man has died for us, the design was to set the suffering Redeemer before them as an example in their trials. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. That is, evidently, the same mind that he evinced, a readiness to suffer in the cause of religion, a readiness to die as he had done. This readiness to suffer and die, the Apostle speaks of as armor, and having this is represented as being armed. Armor is put on for offensive or defensive purposes in war, and the idea of the apostle here is that state of mind when we are ready to meet with persecution and trial, and when we are ready to die, will answer the purpose of armor in engaging in the conflicts and strife which pertain to us as Christians, and especially in meeting with persecutions and trials. We are to put on the same fortitude which the Lord Jesus had, and this will be the best defense against our foes and the best security of victory. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Compare Romans chapter 6 verse 7. To suffer in the flesh is to die. The expression here was a proverbial aspect and seems to have meant something like this. When a man is dead, he will sin no more, referring, of course, to the present life. So if a Christian becomes dead to a moral sense, dead to this world, dead by being crucified with Christ, he may be expected to cease from sin. Compare with Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The reasoning is based on the idea that there is such a union between Christ and the believer that his death on the cross secured the death of the believer to the world. This commentary passage said several things we need to examine. First, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which reads, I have been crucified with Christ, and I live. 
Yet no longer I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith toward the Son of God, the one loving me and giving himself over on my behalf. Working backwards, this verse now makes a bit more sense. Romans chapter 6 verse 7 reads, For the one that died has been justified from sin. Therefore, that justification makes what we read in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 real. We live by faith toward the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who loves me, who loves you by his giving himself over on our behalf. Now, in commentary, we read that we should be ready to not only suffer, but to die. Is that dead in a grave or dead to this world and sin, yet alive? It seems to take a strange turn as it appears to not be talking about the kind of death we all know as permanent rest from this life. Let us look at this closer to determine just what is being said. Commentary told us, This readiness to suffer and die, the Apostle speaks of as armor, and having this is represented as being armed. This might seem to be in conflict with what is commonly known as the armor of God found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. Verse 10 through 12 of Ephesians 6 gives the reasoning for applying the armor of God to us and our living here. Those verses read, Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. To some people, there may seem to be a contradiction in verse 12. It first says to struggle not against flesh and blood, meaning the everyday people we come in contact with, whether they are saved in Christ or not. It also means bearing a contentious spirit toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are some places I have been where this happens. Notice how it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So, whether we read about the armor of God in the Ephesians description or more in passing with a great understanding of it, like here in 1 Peter, we are not talking about a physical form of armor. The armor is an analogy to describe how we should be sure in spiritual strength. That spiritual strength should be so strong that the analogy of it being steel armor works very well. This is what Peter is referring to here in chapter 4, verse 1. 
The next point is armor is put on for offensive or defensive purposes in war. And the idea of the apostle here is that state of mind when we are ready to meet with persecution and trial and when we are ready to die will answer the purpose of armor in engaging in the conflicts and strife which pertain to us as Christians and especially in meeting with persecutions and trials. Very first thing I should address is the notion this may create in one's mind of God's people being a warring people of God. We are to be at peace with the world around us while being ready to defend our belief as well as suffering persecutions and trials that try our faith. Being armed for war, willing to war spiritually, and being told to be peaceful without dissent and combativeness again seems a contradiction. This is in large part due to the fact we need to separate these two instead of making them one state of mind. What we need to understand is that when we are peaceful and non-combative in our relations with others, especially those unsaved who make a strong point of arguing with those who are saved, we are actually, in fact, warring as Scripture calls us to do. Remember now what Commentary said. We are to put on the same fortitude which the Lord Jesus had and this will be the best defense against our foes and the best security of victory. There it is, how we are to fight our foes. It is by putting on the same fortitude which our Lord Jesus possessed. In today's sinful world, this is easier said than done. However, it is something we should strive to accomplish in our lives. This is, even if in part, what unsaved others will see and many will want for themselves. Remember, our witness is not only what we say, but how the world around us sees us living. To that is part of our witness to the world. This is how this final point makes some sense to the modern mind. So if a Christian becomes dead in a moral sense, dead to this world, dead by being crucified with Christ, he may be expected to cease from sin. The reasoning is based on the idea that there is such a union between Christ and the believer that his death on the cross secured the death of the believer to the world. There it is again, this commentary passage as to just what kind of death is meant here. Dead in a moral sense. Dead to this world. We achieve this moral death, which is defined as dead to this world, by crucifying ourselves symbolically, not literally, by accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior of our life. We then work at realizing the redemption 
we have in our newfound state of salvation in Christ. How does one do that? The easiest start in better understanding of this is to work at stopping what we already know is wrong, yet we do it anyway. Usually because we like what we experience in our sinful behavior. Almost always, it becomes a sense of gratitude we all enjoy when though its root is in sinful behavior. As I said, this is a good place to start. Then, as we become more in tune with the leading of the Holy Spirit, more things will come to light in our hearts and minds that need correction and thus forgiveness, of which we only need to ask for, and it is given immediately. The Bible tells us it is true. You'll find that in Psalms. In quick summary, Barnes' New Testament notes said, Such a union between Christ and the believer that his death on the cross secured the death of the believer to the world. Dead period, or simply dead to the ways of the world, since one is now saved by Jesus Christ? His great solicitude was that if we suffer, it should not be for crime, and that our enemies should not be able to bring any well-founded accusation against us. He would have us pure and harmless, patient and submissive, faithful in the performance of our duties, and confidently looking forward to the time when we should be delivered. Are you free of any criminal judgment and or well-founded accusation? Are you pure, harmless, patient, submissive, and faithful in the performance of your duties? Do you confidently look forward to the time when you will be delivered? I hope the answer to all those questions is yes, to the best of your ability. Remember, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, read, I have been crucified with Christ, and I live, yet no longer I, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith toward the Son of God, the one loving me and giving himself over on my behalf. Next week, our last episode is titled, Christ Concerned About the Will of God, The Reasoning. In this final episode of this passage, we will find the reasoning for everything we have learned in the previous three episodes. Stay with us for this exciting episode. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation free version. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched, currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, 
lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, our vision, our ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. If you would rather search for us, please use the search phrase, Church of the Un, insert dash symbol, Churched, to find us on a podcast platform you like. Note, please use the dash symbol and not the word dash when you search for us. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.